Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Good morning. Good morning. Anyway, thank you, Phil. That was um, something. Um, it's such an honor to stand before you and to bring the word of God this morning. So if you can bow our heads and just pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We are your church. We are your children, Lord. We are your people. And you are coming after our hearts. And so this morning, Lord, this is your word. So speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. So we can hear you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <laughs> you don't look all excited to be here. You're, you know, the sun is out. Amen. Amen. <laughs> anyway, this morning I've, I've got um, a word I really feel in my heart. God is speaking to his church. And I believe at this point in time, there's so much happening, isn't it, in our world? And so sometimes our attention is taken to what's happening in the world. But I also believe there's so much that God is doing in our midst. And we kind of lose it. We don't really see it. Because the voice that's louder is of the world. Amen. But I get excited because there's so much and I believe in King's Church. God is doing something. God is doing a new thing. Phil did mention about the double service. Who knows where we are going? There is movement in the church. Jesus is perfecting his church. And we need to be aware as a church. We need to be aware of it. Amen. So this morning, I really believe in my heart. How are we going to share? We're going to learn. I'm going to learn from it. What our Father wants us to hear. Amen. Amen. So, Isaiah 43, verse 18. Just going to read quickly there. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I'm doing a new thing now. It springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. And I believe the Lord is doing something new. Can we perceive it? Can we see? Can we feel it? You know, when I was a little girl, I grew up the other side of the equator. You know, I used to love Christmas. I still love Christmas, but it's different now because I have to organize it. I have to buy the presents. When I was growing up, presents were bought for me. So my parents at this, it was really the norm. It's kind of cultural. I think most people who grew up in Africa probably would know this. So your parents would buy you a dress, a new dress on Christmas. So for me, that was the only present I would get throughout the year. And I, from January, I would look forward to December for my new dress. And so everything that I had to do, I had to remember that. 
Christmas Day, I'll get a new dress. So what would I do? What would that mean to me? What would that mean? My parents had nine children. I'm one of nine, so that was awesome. So what would it mean to us? <laughs> is your school grades had to determine whether you get a new dress or not. What position did you take in class? Did you, were you one of the top ten or were you one of the top bottom ten? How did you perform? And so it comes to chores every morning before school. We do some house chores. We, my mother, you know, divide. You do that, patience, that, Alice, that. I would make sure I do mine perfectly well. Because come Christmas, I might not get the dress. And so everything I had to do, I had this anticipation. I would study, I would listen to my teacher because I wanted to take first the position in class that year because Christmas Day, I will get a new dress. And so come Christmas time, I get my new dress. It was really good. It was, I can't describe the feeling. This is the only present I get in the year. And it's a new dress. The difference with the other dresses I've got is that. This is new. This is, it's got patience's name on it. No one has worn it before. So some Sundays I'd go to church. You know, I, I know some people know. You'd only have a dress for church, dress, Christmas, dress to go on the bus when you go to town and things like that. And so on Sundays I'd wear some dresses, you know, if they get torn, my mom would patch it up. They were not new dresses. They didn't excite me. But the new dress was the dress. It's mine. I wear it first. I wear it until it's so short. I'll keep wearing it. Sometimes my mom will add it I'm close to it, but it's mine. So this morning, church, our father is doing a new thing. We need to get excited for it. Like I was excited for my new dress on Christmas, it was mine. I wait on Christmas, walk up and down our village street, check me out. (laughs) It was really good. And then sometimes some Cousins who come from town. And they've got better dresses than us. It didn't bother me. But it bothered my sisters. Look at them. They've got better dresses. And some of them had names with drop waist. The waist that's dropped. But I didn't care. I loved my dress. It's mine. Don't care. Someone has got a different one. Someone has got a better one. Mine is the best. Here's my new dress. And so this morning, I believe, her father is doing something new in our hearts, in our homes, in our church, in our world, in our country. He's doing something new for you. So we need to see it. Isaiah asked it, can you perceive it? Can you see it? Can you feel it? We need to step into that new thing. So this morning, the title of my sermon church is Getting Ready. Amen. 
As we are anticipating for what God is doing, as we are looking forward and stepping into it, as we are moving into new horizons, new seasons, our Father is saying, we need to get ready. And so I'm going to share with you this morning some steps or some things we need to do as we get ready to get and grasp the new things that God is doing. Amen. So I'm going to share from the book of First Kings, chapter 18. It's a very, very uh, well-known story, but it's, quite sl- it's a bit long as well, so I need really you to bear with me and to stay with me. So this is a story about um, Elijah. And the background of it is this. Um, it is a time in, in Israel... When Israel is turned against God, they, they are not worshipping the God of Israel anymore. There's a king called Ahab. Ahab is ruling Israel at this point in time. The kingdom of Israel is divided into two. So Ahab is ruling the northern part, the ten tribes on the northern part, and there's the southern tribe with the other two. So this is the point in Israel where Things are not good. Ahab marries a wife called Jezebel. We all know her. She's not good. She kills. She kills the prophets of God. She's got her own prophets. So Jezebel brings her own God with her. As she marries Ahab, she brings her own gods to Israel. And the Israelites are forced to follow this God called Baal. There is some things, isn't it? When you marry someone, they bring some stuff with them that can influence us. So we really need to pray and seek God for our partners, don't we? For those of you who are still single. Amen. Just go out, throw that in. But um, Jezebel was just a, she was a force at this point in time in Israel. She, she's not a good queen. So it's a time in Israel where they are worshipping another God, but they know of their God, the God of Israel. Because in their history books, their great-grandfather would tell them about the history where their God has seen them through so many difficulties. So they'll be telling them about him. So they know of him, but they don't follow him. I don't see any difference with the world we are in today. We know of God. We come to church. It's okay. But you know what? There's some bows I'm still following. I am still following a few things. It's okay. You know, I can do it. No one notices. People don't need to notice it. But God knows. God knows. So at this point in time in Israel, it's lukewarmish with the Israelites. They are following Baal. They are forced to do it because their queen literally is killing the prophets of God. Amen. And so comes this man called Elijah. Elijah is a prophet, a man before God, a man who is led by the Spirit of God. He hears from God. And so he comes to Ahab, the king. He tells him in verse, um, chapter 17, verse 7. 17, I think. 
chapter 17, verse 17, I think. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither Jew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So Elijah comes to the king. He tells him, there won't be rain, no Jew, until I say so. And he disappears. We don't hear up acknowledging what Elijah says. He just gets told. Sort of they ignore each other. And Elijah goes. So from this point, Elijah goes. God directs him to a river. God tells him the beds are going to feed you. You're going to drink from this river, from the brook. It dries up. God again says to Elijah, go up. I've spoken to a widow. Go to her. She will feed you. Elijah goes to the widow. He um, finds her. He says, I am thirsty. Can I have some water? Whilst you are at it, can I have some bread? The widow says, I haven't got any. In fact, I've got only flour and oil. And that's the little bit I've got left between me and death. Elijah said, give that to me. Make the bread with what's left and give it to me. Just picture that. The prophet comes. The little flower you've got, I want it. <laughs> it seems he's telling you, go without. I don't care. I want to eat first. But a miracle was hinging there, isn't it? She had to let go of the last. Trust God on that. And so that's what happened. She gives him that. And her flower and her oil never ran out. So, fast forward, three years after, God says to Elijah, go back to Ahab again, right? And on the other side in Ahab, when he say to Ahab, it's never, there, there's not going to be rain or dew, for three years there was no rain or dew. It was severe drought in Israel. And then three years after, God said to Elijah, go back. Go back to Ahab. And I believe God knew now they are ready for me. They ignored me the first time because everything was perfect. They had it all. They had the water. But this time, they've endured three years of drought. Now, Elijah, go back. Go speak to Ahab. So he goes back to Ahab, and we're going to pick it up from here. So Elijah comes, he speaks to Ahab, and they meet. Ahab accuses him of the troublemaker. Elijah said, no, I'm not the troublemaker. You actually have caused all this. Now, if we pick it up from First uh, um, Kings 18.25. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, so as Elijah comes to Ahab, they have a child. They exchange words. Then Elijah said, actually, bring the prophets of Baal. Let's meet on Mount Carmel. Sort of let, let's, let's go there and see who is God. You, you have resisted my God, even if I speak to you. Because if we read on um, verse 20 of 18, 1 Kings 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent words throughout Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. 
Right? So Elijah challenges the people. So he speaks to them and says, if God is God, do follow him. Aren't you tired of being lukewarm? So it comes to a point where, you know, you, you are so dilly-dallying about, you know, God is good. His grace, his grace. No, if he's God, follow him. If he's not, don't. So he blindly put it out. They didn't answer. So typical, isn't it? He hits the mark and you're thinking, I'm not answering. What are you talking about? They didn't answer. And so he took it further. He said, okay, you don't answer. I'm not going to force you. Let's take it a bit further. Then we're going to showcase this. Because I trust my God will show up. So we're going to do a miracle. There's going to be a miracle. And the God who shows up, he's the God you trust. And so they go up Mount Carmel. So we're going to read from 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls. Prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. This was long. So the prophets of Baal had their altar. They are sacrificing to Baal. Elijah has got his own. So it's, it's, it's a shortcut. It's, you know, we're going to take it man to man. You know, so we're going to see who is the boss here, who shows up. And so the prophets of Baal, they, they're the ones who started first. So it's from morning till noon. They're waiting for Baal to show up. It's not a joke. They truly believed in him that he will, but he didn't. Have you read further? Baal answers, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely it's God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe sleeping, he must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears. As was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Church, there's no other gods that can serve you except Jesus Christ. Amen. No other gods who show up, save your life except Jesus Christ. It was long from morning till nearly all day. Baal did not show up. I don't know in your life this morning. The little corners in our hearts, the people we trust so much more than God, we give them most of our time. They don't save you. God saves you. Now, if you read further, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he prepared the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two sails of seed. He arranged the wood, 
cut all the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four light jars with water and pour it on the offering on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it again. The water ran down around the altar, even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, let it be known today that you are God of Israel, that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. God is doing all this for their hearts. All is after at the hearts of his people. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also leaked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley. And slaughtered there. He was a busy prophet, Elijah, following the Lord, slaughtering some false prophets. Amen. <laughs> and Elijah said to Ab, Go eat, drink, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between. His knees, what a posture. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported. A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab. Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Amen. Thank you for persevering with that. It was quite a long scripture. But this morning, I just want to unpack a few points. That I believe we can be helped in what to do as we are getting ready to receive what God has got for us in the coming seasons. Amen. 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 (laughs) Stay with me. Do not sleep. But so the first point today that I believe we need to recognize God's leading, amen? We need to recognize his leadership. We need to recognize that God is leading. God is speaking. God is doing miracles. God is speaking to his church. God is leading you. It's difficult to believe. He is leading you. It's just if we listen or not. So Elijah, if you look, chapter 18, Elijah goes to Ahab first time. Things are perfect for the Israelites. Ahab is the king. His heart is after different things to those of God. He doesn't listen to Elijah, but God had spoken. There will not be rain in three years or in the coming years. He doesn't listen because things are so perfect for him at this point in time. So in our lives, God is speaking, 
but it depends where we are at. He speaks, we choose not to listen. He leads, we choose not to follow. And then what he does sometimes, you look, there was this creation of sort of a severe drought for three years in in Israel. God knew. He knew what was happening and what he he does is say, okay, maybe this time. If I withdraw rain a little bit, probably, by the time I come back again, their hearts will be softened to hear from me. All the time he's pursuing them. Church, God pursues us every day of our lives. He comes again and again and again and again. He comes. He knocks on your heart. He speaks. We don't listen. And so we need to recognize he is leading. That's for sure. He is speaking. That's for sure. King's Church this morning, God is leading us. We need to get excited. He's speaking to us. God is leading his church. Like I said before, Jesus Christ is perfecting his church. So he can perfect if he's not leading it. He has to move with it. Look, this is, if you look back in history, the church has always been on the move. There have been revivals after revival in different places. Why? Because the church is being perfected because Jesus is going to come for his bride. So we need to recognize that. If this is going to happen, the leader is leading. The shepherd is leading his sheep. He is a good shepherd. And then the sheep knows his voice. And so... We need to recognize he's doing it. Sometimes in our lives, it could be dry, isn't it? We find ourselves in peace. We think, Lord, where are you? I can't, you're not leading me. You, you, you've gone quiet. Or if you really were there, this wouldn't be happening. Sometimes it's developing our character for what he's about to do. Or sometimes because he's been coming, he's been trying to speak to you and you've been busy partying, you've been busy occupied by other things. And so sometimes he creates that. He takes what has been taking your time from him. He takes it off you. And it's a shock. Shock. Oh my goodness, Lord. Then you come back. Lord. This is what we do, isn't it? Oh my God. Jesus. What have you done? He's taken you because he's thinking probably this time you could open your heart to him. So he comes back again. And some of us, even in that time, we are so hard and we are not ready to receive from him. So he goes away. He waits. He'll come back again. He pursues you. He pursues your heart. You hear in Elijah when you pray, he say, Lord, do this so they know I'm doing it from you. That they know you are God. That you are turning their hearts to you. So all this is happening. Elijah, he goes there. He goes to our first time. He goes after three years. There's severe drought. All because God is pursuing his people. 
And another way we can know how he's leading us is through his word. It is a manual really on day-to-day basis. Tells you how to speak. Tells you not how to speak. Tells you how to walk. Tells you how to dress. Tells you, how to, tells you everything. It's awesome, the Bible. So we can read that it's a manual guidance on how to follow him. So it's there, it's out there, but we choose probably not to. And so we need to recognize leadership. We need to recognize God is leading. Even in the darkest moments of our lives, he is watching us. He is there. He is leading. We need to open our hearts and say, Lord, even in this moment I am, lead me. Amen. So the second point we can learn from this. We need to repair our altars. You ask, what's, your, what's the altar? Because we don't use altars at this point in time, do we? We don't use them nowadays. But back then, they would use the altar to sacrifice to the Lord. Cain and Abel, they did that. That was the norm in Israel, that they would burn sacrifices on, on the altar and God would receive it or he would reject it. And so what we do now, Jesus Christ came. He gave us access to him directly. The Holy Spirit comes into our hearts. And so everything spills from our hearts now, isn't it? And so we go straight to Jesus. We pray to him. We don't need to burn anything anymore. We don't need to go to the high priest anymore. We can pray directly to him. And so if you read on... um, Verse 30 of chapter 18, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. The altar of the Lord had been torn down. Like I said before, the time in Israel is a time of Baal. So they don't want to know much about the altars of God. They destroyed them. They tore them down. They just didn't care about them. So the altar had been torn down. And Elijah repaired it. It was important. And it's Elijah who repaired it, not God. And so it's our responsibility this morning. We need to repair our hearts. We need to repair our hearts. If we are going to stand into the things God God has got for us, we need to repair our hearts. Elijah repaired the altar, not God. So it's your responsibility to know what's blocking your heart, what confessions you need to make, what's stopping you from praying properly that when you go into your time of prayer, your eyes closed, one is open. Oh, Lord, it's here again. So we're not praying properly, are we? Because that sister, what she did last year to me, Lord, It's still here. It's still here. So we are coming to church every Sunday. It's brilliant. It's amazing. We need to keep that. But I believe this morning as the Lord speaking to his children, he loves us so much. 
He's after your heart. He's after my heart. But he's saying there's something clogging it. I want full access. Holy Spirit wants to rest in it. He wants to lead you. But sometimes you are not finding it well to be led by him because your heart is still stuck somewhere. So we not recognize his leadership because our hearts are so clogged with jealousy. If only I could wear that. If only I could be him. Grudges. Lord, I love going there, but there is a bad stop and sort it out with God. Lord, I love to be in your presence. I love to be in your house. And I'm so excited that I'm going. That's the feeling we need to have. But if there is a but, stop and sort it out. Stop and confess. Stop and say, you know, approach a sister or a brother. You know, I've been watching you. We've been pretending to. Love one another. You know, there's something in my heart. You did this last year, and I haven't forgiven you. (laughs) And you'll be surprised. Psalm 66, verse um, 18. If I chased sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If we keep it in there, it's stopping our prayers to to be heard. It's stopping us to flourish. It's stopping us to be free. Stopping us to run. What? It's stopping us to enter into the presence of our Father. I don't know who wants that. I don't. (laughs) So let's do everything we can. And if you read Mark 7 um, verse 21. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. It all starts here. What we act out there has been piling in here. You think about it, think about it, think about it. And some then implement it. It starts in the heart. And there's, there's this fight for your heart. The Holy Spirit wants to come in. And there's stuff in it. Holy Spirit, if only you could just let that go. I will dwell fully inside there. And I can lead her. And we can fully commune. So church, this morning. We really need to repair our altars, our places of offering, our places where God comes to fellowship with us. We need to repair our altars this morning. Amen. And then we come to the third point um, that we need to learn. We need to remain in unity. Yes, I said it. We need to remain in unity. Say to the next person to you, remain in unity. Yeah, I got you talking. That's awesome. Thank you. 
We need to remain in unity. You see, what happens is when our hearts are right with God. And then I come here today. I look at my brother. I'm looking at him. I'm thinking, you are my brother. We are united in Christ. We hold hands. We are tight. Together we stand for this cause that we've all been called for. And we stand as a church of Christ. And in unity we do greater things. Amen. So we need to unite. Unite in your homes. Unite as couples. Because the Lord is about to do something new amongst you. Amen. We need to stand in unity. Something we take for granted because you look at our couches. My couches say I stand for myself. But we want the God culture. That's how the church is defined. The church in the book of Acts, it acted. It moved because if you read it well, you find that. It says when they gathered, they, those we, we had Lots of things they realize they've got so much. They realize my next, the next person next to me doesn't have much. I need to give to her. So it's like a revelation comes. Their hearts are right with God. Oh my goodness, I've been hoarding. He hasn't got a shirt. Take it. She hasn't got a car. Take it. She hasn't got a house. Take it. They're sharing. And the church was on the move. The church moved and we are reading about it today. So if you want to see the hand of God moving amongst us, we need to unite. Stand in unity. If we haven't forgiven someone, forgive them. If you have a tendency of rubbing people off, stop it. But it starts here. Amen. Amen. And if you read 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. It's there. It's in the Bible if you read it. Some are doing. Some are not coming to commune to church, to be with the brethren. Let us, not st- let us not stop the habit of coming to be together with the brothers because we encourage one another. Why do you need encouragement? Because the day of Jesus Christ coming, he's approaching. And when he comes, you need to be found, prepared. But when we isolate ourselves, When our hearts are not right, I've been offended and I'm not going there. So I don't even want to talk to anyone. Don't even call me. So I isolate myself. And then it starts there. People cannot talk to you. You isolate yourself before you know it. Why you thought the compass was going north, you just divert northwest before you know it. Of course, we have backslidden and we have to start again. All because 
we were offended and we could not forgive. Amen. And Hebrews 10, 25. So 1 Corinthians, I need those. Thank you. Sorry. Amen. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If you can move it. Sorry, thank you. To 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. In 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Say to the next person, you are the body of Christ. Amen. So, we are the body of Christ. You know, the other day, my daughter loves puzzles. Puzzles. P-U-Z-Z-E-L-S. Puzzles. Okay? So, because I've got this habit of pronouncing some words, my son said, Mom, what did you say? So, I have to repeat. So, she loves puzzles. So, we're putting together a puzzle of Elsa, you know, Elsa and a dress and a crown. Really spend time doing it. And to, when we finish, we realize there's one part missing. Elsa has got no head. I'm th- I was quite furious thinking I'm just going to sue the puzzle company. But I actually realized I think we, we lost the piece. So... <laughs> So we, we spend time putting this thing together to realize the head is missing. And so as the verses said, we are all the parts of the body of Christ. There's parts in it. Some we are the fingers, some we are the head, some we are the nails, some we are the eyes, some are the hair. I don't know if you look at your body in the mirror. It's perfection because the Lord made it exactly that. It's perfect. So King's Church, this is the body of Christ. And each one of us is different. We've got different positions that are just unique to us. And if you don't occupy yours fully, Elsa will be missing a head. <laughs> Amen. Imagine this morning you got up, your, head, your legs got... We say, I don't want to walk. I want to see. <laughs> Imagine that. Or your eyes will say, you know what? I don't want to see today. I'm really tired of seeing. I want to talk. So you imagine the confusion. You're thinking, no, no, no. You, your job is to see your eyes, legs. Your job is to walk your legs, hands, your job. You know? So we need to remember that we are unique in our own God created us so uniquely. We don't need to compete for space. We don't need to compete for anything because our Father has got it all covered. There is plenty. You are unique. We are not, we are never going to be the same. We are unique. And because our uniqueness, that is what God wants His church to have. We need an Elsa puzzle. With their head, with their eyes, with their hands, with their crown. We need a complete puzzle. So sometimes some of us, we need to just stop looking at at the church of Jesus Christ. 
these four walls. My pastor keeps saying this. <laughs> I'm just going to say it again. Jesus Christ Church. There's a church of Jesus Christ in America, in Africa, Asia. It's the church of Christ. Now when he looks at his church, he looks at Cambridge. There's a puzzle he's putting together for his Cambridge church. And on that puzzle, King's Church is a piece of it. And then he looks in King's Church. He's putting his puzzle together. And in that puzzle, you are a piece of that puzzle. And so what you are doing is not just for us here. It's impacting the church of Christ. It's impacting the movement of Christ. So you need to stop looking at and think, oh, feeling sorry for ourselves. We need to be excited that actually my Lord is allowing me to part with him in his work. It starts in your heart, starts in your church. It impacts the church of Jesus Christ. So whatever we're going to do, church, if we're going to move corporately, it starts with individuals who say, you know, I dare to believe. I dare to stand up. In unity, I dare to stand up and forgive my brothers. I dare to stand up and say, I love you. When I saw you on Sunday and uh, you didn't look well, I went home. I prayed for you. And when I come back next week, I'm going to check up on you. I came on Sunday. You didn't look very good. So I'm going to take you to Debenhams and spoil you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> you see, in chapter 1831, Elijah built the altar. He builds it. And what does he do? Elijah took 12 stones. That's on verse 31. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descendant from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come. He took 12 stones to make the altar. At this point in time, Israel was divided. The story you are reading about is taking place in the northern region where there is 10 tribes. But the man of God decides I'll put 12 stones Though they are divided, what the Lord wants is unity. So you put 12 stones for all the 12 tribes there. It's in your Bible. Read it. He's a man of God. He knows what God wants. He knows what moves God. He knows what breaks into your miracle. Unity, church. We need to unite. He repairs the altar. First, he puts the 12 stones for every tribe. So we repair our hearts. When your heart is repaired, then we walk into that fullness of knowing. I've got my brothers. 
I've got my back covered by my sisters. I've got my church. I've got my family. You know, I get excited every Sunday to go there because we are a unity. We are a family because your heart is right. But when it's not right here, you come in, you grumble. You come in, you are so whiny. You come in, you're wound up. You come in, you look at the first person and, oh. So we need to stand in unity. I truly believe this. But the Lord said, there's some things I'm going to do. There are some things I'm about to do. There's a breakthrough coming in. But you need to agree. Amen. That brings us to our fourth point. We need to release our resources. It will cost us a bit, a lot. <laughs> it will cost us. But it's not really costing us because it's not ours in the first place, is it? Amen. You know, when my, our children, they get given some money for birthdays or sometimes Christmas. Then my daughter the other day, so we're debating, a brother is like, oh, mama can't. So literally, they'll give me, I, I, I'll say to them, oh, you got given the money, if you came by mail. Well, that's your money, mama will keep it. And my son will say, okay, mom, if you keep it, remember, I like it to go to the village shop. So that's fine by me. But my daughter says something really that touched me. She said, mom, you can keep it for me. It doesn't matter. Because I know you look after it. And mommy, you, buys me th- you buy me things anyway. So you can keep it. So that, that was really profound for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> yes. Got 20 pounds more. <laughs> But we need to release our resources to the one who makes the resources. And so why did I say this about my daughter? Because sometimes our attitude when we give to God, we come to him and say, I'm giving to you because, you know, I know I'll get it multiplied back. So, yeah, I've given, but I can't wait for the God to give it back. I can't wait to get it back from God. We say it exactly, but we don't realize our hearts are really demanding with a very bad attitude. But what we need to do is to say, Lord, I've tried to look after my finances. It doesn't work, but I'm going to give them back to you. I relinquish your control and take over. Father, my time, I can't manage it well. So I'm giving it back to you so you can manage it for me. He's the best time manager you can get. He's the best finance manager you can have. So imagine my son or my daughter comes back to me. They've given me their 10 pounds to keep. They come the next hour or the next day and say, Mom, I want my money now plus interest. You be the judge and jury. Isn't it? 
What will I say? I'll remind him who pays the bills. I'll remind him who bought the shirt he's wearing. But we are glad this morning because our Father in heaven is not like me. He's so patient with us. That even when we go and demand and we go and demand and we go and want and we go and want when we want it, he gives us anyway. He gives it to us anyway. And so this morning, church, we need to release our resources. If you read in verse 33, chapter 18, He says, then he said to them, fill the large jars with water, pour it on the offering and on the wood. At this point in time in Israel, it's drought. There is severe drought. And the thing that Elijah asks them to pour on is water. There is no water. People have no water. The animals are not drinking enough. The rivers have dried. And he asks them, Pour water on the offering. He asked for the resource that's in scarce. It's not there. And the people responded by pouring what they did it three times. They could have said, no, no, we could use this water for something else, Elijah. No, but they responded by pouring out. And so this morning, I believe how God is asking us. As the water was poured, it was in short supply. It was not there. What have you got? What are you holding back from God? And I believe for some, God is saying, pour it out for me. Pour it out for me. So we keep and we keep. Elijah went to the widow. What have you got? I just want that last bread you're going to make. Give it to me first. So the water is the second time Elijah is asking people for something they haven't got. And I believe for some of us, our miracles are hinging on there. We've been holding back and holding back. This is my little special. I can't give it to you, Lord. God is wanting our time, our finances, our resources. Churches, we are moving into this next phase. The least we can do is to say, you know what? I want to see where God is taking us. I want to see what God is doing. And so what we can do is say, you know what? I'm going to follow his leading. I am going to repair my heart. I am going to stand in unity with my brothers. I am going to release my resources. Lord, what can I do? Where can I stand? Which corner can I save from? And so, Lord, church, when we stand together, there's something that shifts. Something shifts somewhere. And we need to accept and we need to move into it. And so this morning I'm bringing you this message. That your father is after your heart. Because when it's right in your heart. We're going to see a move like we've never seen before. We read from Isaiah 43. 18 is I'm doing a new thing. Can you perceive it? Elijah said. God showed. He showed us a consuming fire. He consumed. Elijah said, show yourself. 
God showed himself. He consumed the offering. Amen. Elijah then said, I hear the sound of rain. I hear the sound of rain. He said to his servant, now look to the sea. What can you see? The servant ran and said, I can't see anything, master. He said, go again. What can you see? I can't see anything. Go again. I can't see. Seven times. The seventh time he comes back. Master, I see a cloud, the hand, the size of a man's hand. I don't know what you're looking for. He said, I hear the sound of rain. Probably the servant was looking thick clouds because that relates to rain. But I believe our God is going to show up in areas we never expected. In ways we never could think of. He's going to transform some of you. You're going to be given new identity. You can feel it in your heart. You're thinking, what's happening to me? But God is transforming you this morning. And so we need to step into it. We need to come and say, Lord, I am honored to be working with you. I am honored to be partnering with you. Not to say, you know, I've had enough. But we need to shift our attitude because the times you are moving into is the times we've never seen. The times of the things we've never anticipated. Isaiah asked us, can you perceive it? King's Church, can you see it? Can you feel it? What sound are you hearing? Can you see it? And I believe this morning. Hallelujah. Jesus. And I believe, oh Father, I say, repair your hearts. It's going to start here and it starts in here in this church and it will flow. And it starts with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.